Welcome to Ticker Points. Uh, my name is Ronan Scott. This week we've got Cahill Carvel, Niall McCoy, and our special guest is Sean Cunningham, the Asia GA officer. But to start, we're going to talk about Cahill's column last week, which was entitled Mavericks, and you took Jim O'Connolly as your inspiration. Cahill, you want to give us an idea why you picked Jim? What I had in mind was, and you know, Niall will appreciate this as well, when you know sports um, reporters and journalists go to games, and it was we saw it at the weekend. Jim Galvin, I suppose, is an expert at it at this stage. Anytime they do interviews, and even Colin O'Callaghan's interview, they didn't give anything away. It was bland. There was nothing really to write about. You know, looking forward to the final. You know, no big hysteria like usually you would say. You know, we had a great display there, and it's brilliant to win, and add a bit of colour to it. Whereas there's none of that, and I think that's dying within our games. And the likes of uh, Jim McConnelly, and I also referenced the you know the great Con Corkery and you know Kieran McDonald and Mayo. There's a bit of flair and a wee bit different, and the sort of Maverick side of things, you know, was something that I sort of uh, can latch on to, and it makes it more interesting. You know, you want the story behind them, you want the personality. You know, that's what makes the GA what it is. It's a, a melting pot of different type of people from different backgrounds, all working working towards the same goal and you know I personally think that that's going out of our games where you've got PR managers where you've got management teams saying you can't speak to the press everything has to go through the county board or go through other people and you know I just want someone to go out and you know, say something of interest in these interviews because it's becoming uh, at the point after the game's over you don't really want to hear from the managers because what are they actually saying? I think from a Dublin's perspective, the only time outside of you know the instance involving Connolly that there's been any type of you know personality shown was when Jack McCaffrey a couple of years ago had a too much uh, of the wine at the table in the banquet in the background, you know. <laughs> and since that, there we haven't really seen his personality. It was cracked down upon. So I suppose the point of my column was looking at those great players and you know where there is that type of personality, and it, it leads to I think. They try something different on the field, you know, where they we have these defensive systems and boring, and they'll do something a wee bit, you know, eccentric that we haven't seen before, and that's what people pay in to see. And to my mind, we shouldn't be trying to make every one size fits all. We should be encouraging those mavericks to go out and express themselves within the games. So, whenever you were a player, then you were trying to be a maverick. Like number one for you was. Act the maggot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly wouldn't say that, but I wasn't afraid to express my views. And if someone asked me something, uh, I wasn't going to go through the PR manager. I was going to say it like I saw it. And, you know, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And whether it gives the other side a bit of an advantage, when you go out to play, they're not going to say, oh, well, Cahill said X, Y, and Z. If you can't get up for an inter-county match without something like that, then there's something wrong. I like to bring my personality to how I play as well. I think uh, if you try and curtail that side of you, you you're a worse player for that. So I really do think that in this day and age, all of those you know good players that have that personality shouldn't be afraid to show it, irrespective of the PR manager and the management team. I just think be yourself. That's an opinion that probably most journalists would agree with. Now, we always want somebody to t- say something funny to the Gaelic life. But on the opposite side, though, do you really want... Do you think it's managers would want players who mouth off? And do, do they not want guys who toe the line and maybe not stick, stick, to, stick to the plan or stick to the system? You know, it's not toe the line. I think there's a balance there. Um, you know, Dublin are the most purposely bland team in Ireland. And, you know, Philly McMahon, with his background in his book, was very interesting. And Jamard, as Cal mentions, just, he's just a naturally interesting character. Um, you know, there's a balance, like, you know, you could, 
move away from the old cliches and stuff be interesting and it doesn't you don't have to shout down the opposition like you can just add a bit of depth and stuff like that and to me it all comes back to trust like a manager these are adults and a lot of managers don't seem to trust them to you know just speak their mind in an honest way and engaging way an interesting way and it's you just you see it you can see the best team in ireland play the worst team in ireland and you hear all the 50-50 game and different stuff like that. And you, you know it yourself, Ronan, and a lot of media outlets are the same. We, we go more towards the ex-players now because ex-players are away from that environment. They're more likely to give an honest opinion. Like, But people still want to hear players say it. And if they're coming out with the same repetitive stuff, people switch off. And that's why it is great to see boys like Conley and even my own county, Jamie Clark's an interesting character. Rain O'Neill's an interesting character. We don't know much about them, but we can tell there's something there. Michael Murphy, there's something there that's interesting. That people are going to switch in to watch Michael Murphy. They're going to switch in to watch Jamie Clark. But as Cal says, getting less and less of those boys, and it's a it's a prototype across the country now rather but than. Is it a case that they're being stamped out and players aren't going into the game because they're not talking? Like you know, Conor Mailer recently at the Patron press conference, he was very good. He did a Quite an in-depth conversation, the lads in the office were saying he was very... Two options, either they are being told this way, and we have to believe with certain how professional inter-county set-offs are, that is where. The other thing is players are feeding off players, and they're saying that, you know, team A are saying little, so I'm going to say a little, and maybe it just becomes a sort of a normality for a player not to say anything. So, both possible options, I think at the highest level there's definitely some media management. We do know that there is media management in inter-county game, we know that's a fact, but... Either of those options isn't that interesting. And you know, if you get an interview and someone says something really interesting, you're in cloud nine, because like, it's so rare these days. Like, you know, so GA players aren't born, but at the moment they're very born. Um, I think I referenced it before, before England went to the World Cup, they put every player in a room that had a boot for every player, and every journalist was able to go around every single player and talk to them for as long as they wanted. And some of the stuff that came out that was first class. You look at the Athletic, um, the new website that's launched, and some of the stuff is first class. If players in the Premier League can be more open than GA players, then you know there's an issue there. So, just as I say, you don't have to go full throttle and call your opposition clowns. Like just loosen the strings a wee bit. How much is it the the journalists not having the trust of the players that the players don't want to speak to the journalists? I think there is a responsibility of journalists. I don't think we ask tough questions. Um, I think there's an ever-growing fear of losing uh, access to teams and players if you see something or maybe ask a question that's a bit too probing or maybe write something that's a bit critical. I think in today's game, there seems to be a lot more journalists being cut out or teams not speaking full stop and different things like that. So I think... Uh, Maybe that plays on the minds of journalists a wee bit more. So I think it's sort of it is a bit of a dual responsibility. There maybe a bit of bravery on all sides, including the journalists ourselves, um, just to sort of because it's up to us to ask the right questions sometimes too to make the good story. So I think there's blame all around the show. Like, but it would just you know it'd be nice just to revigorate a wee bit more. You know, mm-hmm. surely the job of a sports journalist is to ask those probing questions and to find out what people really actually want to know about the team. Like if there is an issue with a manager and or if there's an issue that has happened, you know, they don't want, oh, how are you looking forward to the next game? Oh yes, it's going to be a tough match, etc, etc. They want to know about that incident that happened, what um, what was the outcome or what actually happened there. You know, there's responsibility in journalists to ask those questions and not to be afraid of the backlash of asking probing questions that the people want to hear. And uh, Yes, I can understand when you're at the coalface, it is it is quite difficult, but it's not the point that we're asking questions that would give the other team an advantage. You're asking questions that the people 
who actually watch the games and are interested in it want to find out an answer to. And also, going back to the point about personalities, there's nothing wrong with letting your personality show. It doesn't mean you're denigrating the other side. It means that you're being yourself and expressing your views. And to my mind, there's absolutely nothing um, wrong with that. And players shouldn't be afraid to be themselves. I've asked a manager about, and like when specifics, uh, an incident before, and the response was, if you ask that again, I'll end the interview now. You know, so there is, and it's unfortunate, but it's, the reality is there's a bit of a tightrope because I know in Gaelic life, if we took a county and we wrote something very critical on them, we do risk uh, being blacked out by that county and being given no access to players and management. Like, you know, that is that is the modern GA where management teams have this sort of belief that every word is going to be scrutinised and every word matters. And, you know, I think you go back 20 and 30 years ago, you don't have that sort of... There's Players wouldn't let their managers not speak to the media. They would, they would see it as nonsense, like, but it's just... The environment and everything, you know, we're talking nutrition, everything is just so controlled and it's all about this controlled environment and it's just a, it's a consequence of it. Yeah, and I find a lot of times, we talk about this all the time, the teams that let their players speak the most do the best, they tend to be the one, any time they do, a, they, they circle the wagons, they're the teams that lose. I said before, I remember Cross McGlenn, who have always been and still are an amazing team club for getting access, always been very honest, uh, always give good copy, a, a team that would never, rarely go into cliche sort of mode and would say what to say and really refreshing. But I remember, I think it was, they were playing St Bridgerton in all Ireland semi-final and I think they put a stop, I could be wrong, but I think they put a stop, no interviews for that match and they lost the match and I'm like, you know, they rarely cross, like, you know, so what benefit did it do? And um, I just think, you know, you put in bands like that, it's sort of, it adds another stress level to it, like, you know, it sort of takes you out of normality, like, you know, just let boys talk away, maybe some like it, some people don't like it, they just have to say no to an interview, but some boys will enjoy it, like Cal here, he, he loved it as a player. <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but, but also if you look at other sports um, as well, like I um, follow the boxing quite a bit, and those 24-7 access um, shows um, before the big fights, and they're not only are they being interviewed, they're being followed around by a camera, you know, 24-7, and it doesn't take anything out of them. And even one example is the university boat race, which the amount of access that they give on that there, and the interviews and everything they got, and American football, the amount of characters that you have in it, and maybe the games aren't that interesting, whereas the flip side in GA, the games are amazing, but, you know, we don't have the characters anymore. American football, we have all the characters, all the colour, all the pageantry, but the games can be, you know, not the, the best for us. So I think there is, uh, in terms of branding and, you know, bringing this to a global market and, you know, increasing participation and involvement, et cetera, et cetera, that does play a part in terms of letting people be who they want to be and express themselves. Is there an argument that maybe even the audience have got too used to this uh, the normality, like, you know, you just have to see Rory McIlroy when he gives an honest interview, the reaction on Twitter, like, you know, everyone giving out. Like, I went to a talk night, Rory McIlroy done with Alex Ferguson for some charity event, and I was so engaged, and, like, he's absolutely brilliant. Every interview, he's honest, he gives his opinion, and it's what we're screaming out for, but any time he does it, he just gets absolutely destroyed on Twitter. I'm like, have we, is this the norm now? Do we not like people, you know, speaking out and speaking the truth and just see it as you know, not the way it should be done now, even the audience feeling like that maybe? Well, I certainly think that there's players who don't want to inter get interviewed because they think that their opinion will be taken the wrong way or they'll think, oh, look at that mouth talking yeah. about the team, like, what is he, who's he, like, he only just, only just on the panel or whatever. So there are those who 
the, who yeah, you think that way. And then there's guys like Cahal, or a mouth. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll, not, I'll not name him again, but I do know one player told me before that, and this is a highly, highly decorated player, that before any match, he will go through the opposition's interviews word for word. And he knows they're not seeing anything against his team but he will try and find something in the opponent's interview that he can use as motivation and this is a boy that's played at the highest level in the game and he still does that for every match where there's media attention is there a possibly possibly a way of beating dublin is to do a blanket media ban after the after the weekend's performance doesn't look like they're going to get beat does it Carl? no i think the the opposite way is to allow all the media to come and speak to them maybe that's <laughs> it because the whole media ban's been there with mayo and been there with all of the pretenders to the crown and i think let's go in the opposite way and let them go out and express themselves go man for man don't go defensive and like how do you where's what are, where is the blueprint for beating dublin Everyone said that, you know, Mayo were the team who had the physicality and the ability to do that. And, you know, I've said previously on this programme that I thought the, the, the legs were gone and the mileage on the clock for, for Mayo and success. Even with this Dublin team who have some of the, the older players, it's been re, uh, rejuvenated with the, the, the youth coming through. But also that success, you know, breeds more success, breeds more success. And with the likes of Mayo, how many times can they go back to, to the well? Uh, can can or will they be beaten in the final? I can't see it. Um, but what I will say is, Kerry have um, the players to give Dublin a lot to think about. And um, I think if there was any team that could take them, especially for the five in a row and going back to eighty two and Kerry being unable to do it, and you know the the, the special players, the youth. Um, that they have in that, especially in the Kerry forward line with O'Shea and Alex Clifford, with and if they can get O'Brien back, which I think he will um, be back for the final, I think they have as good a shot as anybody. But is this a special group that are going to go down as the the best of all time? Um, I think in, in three weeks' time we will see Dublin doing five in a row, and uh, they'll go down as the, the greatest team. And some of those older guys will go off into the the sunset with. Uh, an array of medals that will be the envy of the rest of Ireland What was your thoughts now? On just on it, Peter Keane I don't know if you saw the quotes today he's decided just uh, to take the mick with the interviews he's doing exactly what he wanted to do he said he didn't watch the Dublin match and different things like that so more of that please before the final I, I, I give Kerry more than a serious chance to be honest with you I do expect them to win but I really don't see it as the foregone conclusion of some of it I was before the Dublin Throne match in Healy Park the dead rubber the other week heard a number of people on the radio that Throne would rather play Kerry than Mayo and I just couldn't work that one out because as Cal said, I'd seen Mayo against Down, struggled for a lot of it, didn't really know their system. Armagh, you could see some better officiating. Armagh would have won down Castle Bar, uh, certainly would have forced extra time anyway. Uh, got a bit of momentum, went well, but to me they were a team that were getting every last drop out of them. Were, Kerry and even Tyrone to me look better outfits. Uh, I think Kerry obviously showed at the weekend they're a better team right now than Tyrone. Um, I think they've an excellent chance. David Moran's been superb in midfield. Tommy Walsh came on and was very, very impressive when he came on. Just doing the simple things, taking catches, laying them off now, shooting still looks incredibly rusty. I've seen him a few times now since he came on in cameo since come back from Australia and his shooting's just completely gone. They're just now they were very naive at the back in the first half against Tyrone. Now that's the big worry for me. Uh, you know, Conor Callaghan, uh, his movement is just unbelievable. You look at the second goal of the weekend, it was, it was incredible, his sidestep there. So if there is naive again at the back, 
they'll not win. But if they can sharpen up at the back, get the sort of matchups right, get the cover right, the positioning of the cover right, because it's been all over the show all year, I think out the field from eight up to full forward, and O'Brien will get off at that mead black card. I give them a really solid chance of winning, to be honest with you. Yeah, and you could say too that they may not win this year, but that's a team that's got massive potential. Like, oh yeah, it's a very young team. O'Shader, Levin, Clifford, they're all young lads. Like, uh, even your boy uh, Sherwood to come on, I, th- I thought he made a, a really big impression. Um, I think it's 17 players from the five All-Ireland minor winning teams have already made their senior debuts. We can imagine a few more that reach the semi-final this week are going to make it the next year or two. It's incredible. Probably as good a talent coming through as anyone, and that includes Dublin. So, you know, can they manifest in the, an All-Ireland winning team over the next couple of years? I think that's an absolute certainty. Can they do it in three weeks? You're right. Maybe a year too soon, two years too soon, but I, I really expect it to be a tight final. Were you surprised with the true result? And do you think this call from Mickey Hart's head is a, a valid one? It's a, it's a difficult one. You know, everyone's on the assumption that's calling for his head, the assumption that if Malgi Roar comes in or someone comes in, they're going to take them on to the next level. And I still just don't think they have the forwards there to take that next step, even with Cal McShane. Uh, I think he hit 49 points in the championship this year or something ridiculous like that. I personally, what's it, three All-Irelands, Mickey's won... He's bought himself time now, okay, it's what, 11 years since the last of those, so you can see, right, fair enough, that's far too long, but a couple of other titles in the last couple of years, I'm just not sure that a manager that comes in is going to take them on the next level, and um, my assumption will be Mickey will call time on it before Throne called time on Mickey, because he's been there since 2003, and surely to God he's he's possibly having enough of it, like you know, but... I just, you know, a word of warning for anyone that thinks that things are going to get better when Mickey leaves because he is, he is taking them just to finals and semi-finals consistently, even in this barn period compared to the first half of his throne career. On the match itself, Kerry wrecks in the second half. Throne stopped doing a lot of things that they were doing well. A bit slower getting the ball in the machine. A couple of his shots early in the second half went off and it just gave Throne or Kerry that sort of confidence. It sort of kept the door open and their shooting was fantastic. Clifford kicked a couple of unbelievable scores. Ganey kicked a lovely score. Just confidence sort of, and Kerry started. It was like a challenge match. First 20 minutes, Kerry's, and they just picked it up and were more than the serving winners. Do you agree with that assessment, Carl? Do you, do you, do you think that there's more in this Throne team that can maybe uh, get more out of them? My personal opinion, I think Mickey's stayed too long already. Um, I think there's a loyalty to him within that, and he's created this... Um, uh, through his success, granted, you know, uh, uh, the guy who brought the, the All-Ireland to throne for the first time, um, and, you know, he has, uh, I suppose, influence within that throne setup that has been built up through the years and through the success, but, you know, time waits for no man. Uh, I think some of the decisions, even bringing off Niall Sludden yesterday, couldn't understand that he, you know, he was uh, taking the, the the fight to Curry in the second half, and I just couldn't understand why he d- he did that. There was a lot more deserving people to be taken off. So the, the microscope is on him, especially given the you know the length of his tenure there. And I think if there was nobody waiting in the wings to come in and take that job, I would think you know give it to him again. And I think he will get another year, another two years um, there. But I think it's time to shake things up. 
I slightly disagree with Niall on the basis that I think they do have the forwards there and they do have the, the, the players to push on and um, to, to get over the line against Dublin, but it, it needs reinvigorated, it needs a bit of courage to change that defensive formation, to push on. Like McShane uh, has been a, re a revelation this year. Um, I think it was when Andy Moran won uh, the, the Player of the Year, he scored one more point uh, from play than uh, McShane has this season. And that's not only taking account of the freeze. So if you bring him in, and they had Donnelly pushed up before in the league, which worked well, and I think Everyone has been pointing to the Donegal uh, match, which was an off day, in my opinion, uh, for that Throne team. And if they had have stuck with the, the process and the structure that had been in place, instead of reverting to that defensive system, and if a new manager does come in, plays with that courage and lets the players go out and express themselves, that's the only way, to my mind, that I can see them taking another All-Ireland and I think they do have the players and like Trone is a, a football mod county and there's many of the, the, the previous players there that have done well at underage level that, I, um, that are willing to move on and to actually uh, I think bring something fresh that may land uh, another Ulster and another All-Ireland with Throne. I think Mickey Paying his dues, he's been a great servant to the GA and to Tyrone, um, especially. But you know, every dog has his day, and I think it's time for someone else to step up the plate in Tyrone. You were going to cut in now. You know, you have McShane playing potentially player of the year form, yet they still can't get past the semi final. And I just, you know, you look at Jamie Brand, the impact he's had. You look at Paddy McBird. I just don't see who else is there that can step up in Tyrone and be to that sort of level, a McBrady level. Like, I just don't know who's the forward we've had. It seems like we've had the same four or five, Kaliski, Roney O'Neill, uh, Darren McCurry. It seems to have been on repeat, Lee Brennan, Mark Bradley, and none of them have really stepped up. And I suppose what you're right and what you're saying there, have they not stepped up because they haven't been allowed to? And I suppose that's it will only be proven in time, I suppose, if someone else comes in and gives them that freedom to do that. So I suppose it's a, it's a straw man's argument. We won't know for certain, but to me, I just... I just don't see a top-class Paul Mannion there or something Tr like Trum that. Trump fans are probably saying right now, Derek Canavan, he's coming in. Yeah, but what is he? What age is he? Is he even 20 yet? Like, it's got, again, just time, time, but I suppose of what we've seen, certainly. So maybe it'd be the perfect time for someone like Derek Canavan to have someone else come in and give him that freedom. Because it's not only in Trump, we've seen this happen in other Ulster counties where we see superb underage minor corner forwards all of a sudden are hard-working half-forwards. I suppose, as you say, maybe it is all about the manager and maybe if Mickey does step aside, we might see these players move to the next level because uh, at the moment, under Mickey, whether it's his fault or not, they don't seem capable apart from McShane. In saying that, there's also when you do, when someone's been here or been in a position that long, there are players that will want to come back into that there. I think the likes of the Mark Bradleys as well, the, the Ronnie O'Neills, and you know, with a rejuvenated and refreshed system, with the push back up again, and like uh, Molly Donnelly, to my mind, in that role off McShane, playing the ball in long, now that would give Dublin something to think about, or give Kerry something to think about. We just talked about Walsh earlier on. You know, when that more direct ball went in, I think that's how you beat the Dubs, that's how you beat these other uh, good teams. Um, you put the ball in long and you play off them, and even if it was Donnelly or, or even Richie Donnelly in there, which was the case earlier on in the year, and have McShane playing off him, you know, that uh, is one way that they could tinker with it to bring them to the next level potentially, but there 
they tried it earlier on the league, it worked well and then they reverted to type. So there's that courage that I'm talking about and is Derek Canavan the um you know, the, the answer going forward, a very good player, but the likes of Mark Bradley and that guy in a, in a smaller stature, it's hard for them to stamp their influence on some of them really big games. Um, and it may, it may prove prove that wrong, but um, I think there still are the players there and a refreshed, rejuvenated throne um, would be a match for, for a potentially aging Dublin down the line. Okay. I think we need to move on. I think we've covered enough of the throne uh, we'll talk about it again next year but thanks very much we're going to talk to uh, Sean, Con Sean Cunningham next our guest is Sean Cunningham Sean's the the North Asia GA officer and we have him in because he played an important game at Croke Park but first I want to ask Sean how did you come to be the North Asia GA officer how does somebody from uh, County Down go all that way out there well, Ronan, I've been in China since 2012 now. Um, how I came to be involved in the Asian County Board, uh, a dairy man asked me, actually, Joe Trollin. I think you know Joe well. Mm -hmm. Joe's a good balanced screen man, and Joe had asked me would I become involved in the committee, and then I progressed to be the North Asia officer. It's a, it's a voluntary role, but it's one that I, I hugely enjoy. It's a very demanding role. I mean, it's a huge region. North Asia encompasses, you know, there's clubs, a lot of clubs in China, Japan, South Korea, the number of clubs is growing. Even China itself, where I'm based, is a huge country. So there's a lot of clubs there, and it's about facilitating those clubs, helping them absolutely any way I can, help, especially helping new clubs, help them get up and running. And we have many different regional tournaments. We have the North Asia Games, we have the South Asia Games, and then we have the Pinnacle, the Prime Tournament, every November, which is the All Asia Games. So it's a busy and demanding role, but as I say, one I really enjoy. But did you go out there just to teach GA, or what were you? What was your goal to go? No, I'm I'm a teacher. I mean, I went out to teach. I used to work with Ulster University, and my ex boss, uh, an Antrim man, asked me to would I go out and teach in China, and I said, yeah, I would. I would love to have the experience. Um, my mum took a bit of convincing. I told her I was going to teach in Spain. Prior to that, she talked me out of it, saying it was too far away. So China took a bit of selling, but. I went to a place called Zhengzhou to teach. Zhengzhou you could describe as like the Connemara of China. It's a very remote part of China. I really enjoyed it. Um, it wasn't easy. It was challenging at times, but I was teaching English there and we had a partnership with University College Cork. And I wanted to prepare the students as best way possible to study in Cork. And I thought the best medium to do that is through the GA. It's a big part of my life. And I was showing the students hurling, camogie, Gaelic football, and they thoroughly enjoyed it, all aspects of our games. So your approach really wasn't like a lot of other, uh, you know, uh, non-Irish based clubs where if you go to America, it's set up by Irish people who want to play the games or there's they set up hurling clubs because they want to hurl. You were there trying to help these people prepare for coming to Ireland. Yeah, I wanted to help them as much as I could because I know it's a big cultural change, a big shift to go from Ireland to China or China to Ireland. So I wanted to help prepare them in the in the best way possible and I think the way they've made friends through Gaelic Games some of the students have joined clubs in Cork and it's been a fantastic way for them to assimilate into local Irish life here so uh, and like, similarly when over in China you take what you love to there I, I love GA it's it's part and parcel of what I am part you know so I, I had to bring it with me and uh, the students they really embraced it. What is the draw for them you know I can understand 
Irish people want to play GA, but why would somebody from Asia who never seen the game before want to play? Or from in your experience? I think they're very curious, Ronan. I had one student who stated to me that perhaps uh, hurling is actually a Chinese sport. He went on to tell me that uh, stick and ball games originated in China. So there you go. So you've noticed that they have the, the hand, hand-eye skills, hand-eye coordination for hurling then? The, the students that I've had in China, they have a natural flair, I feel, for hurling. They've got great eye-to-hand coordination. You look at ping-pong, badminton. So they had that, that already that natural talent, I felt, for hurling. Perhaps with Gaelic football, they found it a little bit robust and physical at times. Hurling they seem to enjoy a lot. And puck fadas they've organized in China, especially in the regions of Zhengzhou and Luoyang and Henan province, They've been very successful because the students have really enjoyed and, and bought into what Hurland's all about. They, they really enjoy the stick and ball games, perhaps more than Gaelic football. Can you tell us a little bit about the game in Croke Park? What, what was that all about? Why did you do it and how difficult was it to set up? Well, running the game in Croke Park was a brilliant event for everyone involved. It was brilliant for my clubs and John's and it was also brilliant, obviously, for the students involved. I've been teaching in China, as I say, since 2012, and a lot of students, you're telling students in the classroom about how incredible Crook Park is and how brilliant our games are. For students to then go and try the games themselves in Crook Park was a surreal experience for them. You know, one of the students, when he scored a goal, um, he ran the length of the field to give me a high five, and, and that wee surreal moments like that, they live with you for a long time, you know, and the students, they... It gave them a great preparation for the World Games, which were held in Waterford a week later, to play in front of a huge crowd. It was halftime of Donegal Kerry match, big crowd there. Uh, after it, Marty Morrissey interviewed them. The students loved that as well. But very significant run-on Chinese state media covered the event. I mean, on two separate news items, the game was, was covered. And that is hugely important, not just for the GA, for tourism Ireland, for education in Ireland, you look at the growing number of Chinese students and the Asian students we have here. For Chinese state media to cover the St John's versus China game was very significant indeed. Significant for St John's, I imagine, too. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, was, it was a good boost for the club. St John's embraced the idea totally, especially our chairman, James Laverty, Rory McMullen, Brent McCann. There were so many stalwarts of the club who fully backed the project, and that's why it was a success. We had a lot of local support. Ross Carr from Club Down, very good friend of mine. Ross sponsored us polo jerseys and kits. Uh, Paul Devlin, another a Down player, Kilku man, he sponsored gloves for each and every player. So we also had Jason Sherlock who came along to give the players individual team talks and we pep talks, you know. So touch a class from from a legend, you know. It was it was great that we had all that support. St John's. Also won the East Down Reserve League yesterday, managed by a good Tyrone man, Alan Henderson. So Alan was a bit deflated after the carry match. So that <laughs> gave him a good lift to bring some silverware back to the club. So fair play to the lads for bringing the Reserve League Cup back. So why, why did State Media cover it? Like, what was the significance for them, or how could they how could they get that game onto such a to such a big audience? Well, I always believe in thinking big, and I thought, why not contact? Chinese state media, the only thing they can, you know, they can either say yes or no. Thankfully, very fortunately, they said yes. Uh, one of their main correspondents is based in Dublin, so I was able to get his contact, met him for coffee. We gradually got him around to the idea of covering this game, and they followed us around the whole day, which was priceless. I mean, the scale of China with over a billion people, 1.4 billion people, 
that was huge that that the game was covered in that so and they want to cover future events as well so it's the start of an interesting dynamic and a, and a strong relationship what was the reaction of the players to play in a Croke Park? Like, how did they, like, how did they feel about it? Like, I mean, were they amazed at it, or did, was this a small stadium for them, or how would they, how did they respond? It was absolutely amazing for them. They're still buzzing from it, and I mean, it was ideal preparation for them, perfect preparation for them to then go on and play in the World Games. They were a bit daunted by going to play in the World Games, but once they played in Croke Park in front of that huge crowd, in front of their own state media, then it didn't seem as daunting. I mean, for our own club, we had a husband and wife playing for the St. John's team. We had Rory and Isabel McMullen. Uh, we had a husband and wife playing for the China team, Jack and Grace. We had uh, two brothers playing for St. John's, the McGarian brothers. We also had a father and son playing for St. John's, Kieran and Kieran Murray. So all those family ties made it a really special event as well. But for the Chinese students, as I say, especially for the wee student of mine that scored the goal, That'll live with him for a long time. My dad was doing umpire and he, he knows the student because he's been over to Ireland a number of times and my dad was clapping and shouting and roaring. You know, when he scored it, I said, Dad, you have to be neutral when you're an umpire here, you know. So it, everyone bought into the excitement and the buzz of the game on the occasion. You were saying that the students were trying to get involved in any way they can. You know, you know some that couldn't play, but they, they helped out in other ways. Yes, one of the students from Zhengzhou who couldn't make the game she really bought into what the GA is all about. She contacted me and said, Sean, unfortunately I can't afford the trip, but I would really like to contribute and help out. Is there some way I can contribute? So I thought over it and I met her for coffee, gave her a St. John's jersey. Uh, I, I realized it was the 40th anniversary of the Sunday game, as well as the 40th anniversary of diplomatic ties between China and Ireland. So she did a small clip. At the end of it, she said, what do you think of that, Joe Brawley? Joe then retweets that. And I think we're sitting on 15,000 views now. So yeah. it shows you there's a role for everyone. One of the students who didn't want to play in the game, she was asking what way she could help as well. And she was a wee PRO for us in the day. So, um, you know, there was... And Vinny from our own club from St. John's was a, a fantastic PRO as well. He was taking hundreds of photographs. So there's priceless memories throughout the day. Uh, how important are the World Games, you know, for clubs like ourselves in promoting the game? How do they help? The World Games, I mean... A huge event, the growing number of teams. From Asia alone, we had six teams, which is very significant. We're already thinking ahead to the 2022 World Games, which hopefully will be held in Waterford again. They were fantastic hosts. We had twinning partnerships. Ourselves and Hertfordshire GAA were twinned with Dungarvan GAA, and they were fantastic to us as well, you know, just helping the students settle on that. We would love to grow the, the number of teams further still. We're not resting on our laurels. We have a lot of work to do. The strength and conditioning of teams from America and from Australia is light years ahead of where our Asian teams are at the minute. But long term, we would very much like to be competing with those teams. And we would also love to bring the World Games up here, up north. Promotion helps to raise interest as well. And you had a good promo there when you got those people onto the Great Wall of China and you had a puck fat along the Great Wall of China. How does one manage to do that? That's right, Ronan. We had, uh, I had a number of puck fadas in Hunan province, in Zhengzhou and Luoyang, and then up in Shijiazhuang. And I thought, you've got to think big again. And it was the 40th anniversary of diplomatic ties between China and Ireland. And I thought, probably the most unique place, perhaps globally, you could have a puck fada would be not the Kuli Mountains, but the Great Wall of China. That took a lot of organising. Uh, my university were very helpful. I contacted UNESCO. It was, it was a 
a lengthy organizational process but very much worth it and the students i mean they had they would say it was the you know one of the best days they've had as well they've we, had, we lost a lot of slithers but it was a fantastic event and a good friend of mine from pakistan actually won the event and the length that he could strike the slither was phenomenal so it's brilliant to see and going to build on that and have even bigger puck fattas maybe not in as unique a location but in other regions of china Sean, it's a fant fantastic story, like incredible, and hopefully you'll come back uh, in a couple of years' time or even sooner to tell us more stories of the GA in Asia and how it's growing. It's a pleasure, Ronan. I would love to come back. Thank you. Thanks for your time. So thanks to Sean, thanks to Niall, thanks to Cahal. That's our show for this week. Uh, we'll see you in a few weeks' time. <laughs>